The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for staying up so late. If you're watching live on YouTube, it's after midnight on the East Coast. Go ahead and smash that like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please knock it out while you're here. Dead leg. Champions Classic is in the books. Game one was something. Final score. Michigan State, 86, number four, Kentucky, 77 in double overtime. Big win for Tom Izzo's Spartans. And then in the nightcap, it, of course, it was Kansas and Duke. Final score, Jayhawks, 69, Duke, 64. Nice. It's a big win for Norm Roberts in the absence of Bill Self. So let's just start with game one, Michigan State, Kentucky. Broadly speaking, uh, your thoughts on watching Tom Ezzo's less talented team upset John Calipari's team that started the season ranked number one at Kenpa. Eyes on me. Okay. Ready? Eyes on me right now. You and me. Eyes on me. You damn well better rank this Michigan State team. You understand me? Rank them. I already Enough. had them ranked. Enough. I already had you them better, ranked. You better, you better have this team in the top 15 do you realize, are listening to this. Do you okay? realize I'm the guy who told you What's the day? It's late Tuesday, early Wednesday. I'm the guy who told you on Sunday night that even if Michigan State lost a competitive game to uh, Kentucky to drop to one and two on the season, I would still have them at one and two ranked in the top 25 of one. Would you like to ask me where they're at with a two and one record? One point loss to Gonzaga and a victory over Kentucky. Where are they at? Top five. Whoa. Okay. Let's let's calm it down there. What do you do with the team? What do you do with a team like this? I lay it out. I got thoughts on the game, but we're already number one Gonzaga, number two North Carolina, number three Houston, number four Michigan State, number five Kentucky, and then I'm trying to figure it out after that. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out how to. You run into these weird situations where Michigan State jumping so high without Kentucky dropping too far. Um, is going to push down like an Arkansas, like a Baylor. 
And then you got to figure out, okay, do I jump Kansas over an Arkansas and a Baylor, even though I had Baylor projected as the Big 12 champ, and Baylor's done nothing to move me off of that. But Kansas did just beat Duke on a neutral court. How do you handle all that? I'll, I'll figure it out late tonight or early tomorrow. But trust me when I tell you, Michigan State's in the top five, and I think I'm going to keep them right there at four behind only Gonzaga, North Carolina, and Houston. And I do that for two reasons. A, they got the resume to support it right now. One point loss to Gonzaga on an aircraft carrier, um, a nine point win over Kentucky on a neutral court in double overtime. And I'd like to also, you know, reward people for scheduling aggressively. That's what Tom Izzo's done. His team has delivered. I'll rank them accordingly. No huge objection there. Uh, props to you on that. Okay, so. Uh, they get Oscar Sheepway back, does Kentucky in this one. He averaged 17.4 points and 15.1 boards last season. He played starters minutes on Tuesday and exceeds those averages. 22 points, 18 boards, four blocks, five turnovers. Did foul out late. Did have a lapse on defense that even allowed Malik Hall to get the game-tying dunk the first time in regulation to, to send this to the bonus session there. Uh, for Kentucky, let me just focus on Kentucky here. Um, I... I get why UK fans are going to have uh, some gripes over this because down the stretch, if it, to me, when I watched the game, it felt like what got Kentucky in an advantageous position for most of the night seemed to kind of dissipate down the stretch in regulation and in the overtimes there, maybe a, a change in pace overall. I, I thought, generally speaking, Kentucky played mostly pretty well. I mean, Michigan State, you got to figure the opponent here. Izzo, a wonderful coach. Uh, Kaysen Wallace, eight steals, ties a record. We were at the game the last time a Kentucky Wildcat got eight swipes in a contest. That was against UNC in the 2018 CBS Sports Classic out in the United Center. Kaysen Wallace, just ridiculous defender. Unbelievable performance out of him. Uh, I figure they'll continue to get that on a night-in-night-out basis, not eight steals, but he just seems like the kind of player who is both mentally and physically prepared to show up on time at the office and play extremely well. But offensively, Kentucky didn't average a point per possession. CJ Frederick only had five points. Jacob Toppin was a little bit here and there. Now, I've been, if I'm not driving the train, I'm certainly in the first car on the Jacob Toppin can be a star for Kentucky, the 1B to. Sheboy's 1A on this team. He was solid. He wasn't he wasn't great overall. He had he had 10 points, a block, four boards, no assists, one turnover, four fouls there. Just not quite enough overall. Severe Wheeler, you know, he got plenty of shots up, but he was under a, a point per shot as well there. So and credit to Michigan State's defense. They did a good job. I'll get to Sparty in just a second, but let just, you know, Kentucky. Not being able to capitalize late, GP, I, that was just a little bit surprising to me because they probably they should have won in regulation. And a nice design by Izzo, no doubt about it. But like Hall just simply sl- he just slips in. Sheboy doesn't see it coming. Like he just did not see it coming. It was just through the back door. Hello, here we are, jam, and we're going to the bonus session. And then yeah, the Kentucky plays shorthanded once Sheboy winds up. Uh, once he winds up fouling out, and that's going to limit them uh, significantly. What were your thoughts on what you saw from or didn't see from Cal's team? Well, I'm with you. I thought Kentucky should have won the game in regulation and then should have won the game at the end of the first overtime. And both times, Tom Izzo, after the game, gave credit to his assistants. And I don't want to totally disregard that. But, like, Tom Izzo's fingerprints were all over that. And for them to get 
two out of bounds plays that result in dunks to tie the game and send it to an extra period is, is outrageous. Um, the first one was hilarious because you're right, Chiwe just just he just messed up. I, I don't know if you saw it. I tweeted it. Um, he's walking back toward the Kentucky bench, and Cal, you know, Cal will lose his mind on players. I mean, call them MF and P's and everything else. Like it's all been caught on camera. Uh, Cal just sort of calmly looked at Oscar and and just said, "Why did you do that?" <laughs> it was it was hilarious that's and then the essence of coaching right there why did you do that yeah why did why did you do that and um and then the out of bounds play where they went full court at the end of the first overtime was just terrific and that was just well designed malik hall did make a nice play like if you pause it when he catches the ball um on on the wing he, you know, he he fakes it. He just so slightly fakes it to the corner to get that guy to bite. And then he had a clear lane to the rim and dunk. And now we're headed to a second overtime. And after the game, you know, Tom was asked about it. He credited his assistants and he was like, sure. I just said, hey, let's go dunk the damn ball. I really like dunks. Uh, so he he downplayed the role he played in that. But he clearly played a role in that, as coaches do. On the other side, John Calipari said, hey, on this out of bounds stuff, you know, that that late game situations, that's on me. And so I'm sure Kentucky fans, like I wrote, will have a good time with that um, on, on the message boards. Uh, the truth is, um, Kentucky is way more talented than Michigan State. But Michigan State, just they, they stayed in it the whole time. And when Shebway fouled out, obviously Kentucky was really up against it. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that the Spartans going through what they went through Friday night against one of the very best teams in the country helped them, um, you know, succeed in similar tight, stressful, high stakes, late game situations against Kentucky. It's not the only reason you play these types of games, but among the reasons you play these types of games is so that they'll prepare you for the next big game and Michigan State looked prepared comfortable in the moment and that is again not the only reason they were able to win but certainly on the list of of things that led to them winning shouldn't have been surprised by this game being close eight of the past nine times Sparty and Big Blue Nation have squared off eight of the past nine games have been decided either by single digits or the game has gone to overtime so as would be expected with two Hall of Fame Coaches, uh, their teams kind of play up to the moment, or at least play each other close there. Uh, for Michigan State, you know, <laughs> the Tyson Walker to Madi Sissoko connection could be a bit of a game changer there. They had they had a lob to make it 78-76 late in the game. It was Michigan State's first lead since it was 52-51. Shibwe wasn't on the floor when that happened. And then they had another one to clinch it late. Same exact uh, battery, if you will. Walker to Sissoko. Uh, Sissoko had 16 and 8 and 3 steals. Malik Hall had a 20 points. But Joey Hauser, by the way, not a quiet 23 and 10. But I will say, and I mentioned this on the on the Sunday pod, I guess, when we were talking about the Gonzaga-Michigan State game, they have to get production out of Joey Hauser to be Big Ten contenders, to be able to be a team that you would regard as top five in your rankings. And they did get that tonight, which was very, very helpful. But to me, Sissoko has been 
Yeah, I've seen him play two games, basically. He's been my favorite player through eight days of the season. Just the leap he has been able to make, it's been, I think it is a game changer. I, didn't, you know, I thought he'd be better. I didn't know if he'd be this, and we'll see how much he can be consistent and keep going with it. But, man, oh, man, talk about uh, what might be a little bit of a mini revelation there because he wasn't expected to be Michigan State's best player. He might not even be Michigan State's best player. But getting, you know... The kind, he's 11 to 17 from the field at this point in the season. That's 64.7%. He's drawing contact, playing well through it, rebounding well at both ends there. And, you know, he's, he's been on the floor for 60% of Michigan State's uh, minutes through three games. They're two and one with the one loss by one point against Gonzaga. Really good gains here for Sparty. And I don't want to completely redo the, the segment that we had before on the previous show because we mentioned, you know, is always scheduled up. But my takeaway is this. Yes, the win over Kentucky is important no matter what, but next game is home against Nova on Friday. We'll talk about that on Friday morning's podcast. Then they go to PK-85, and you know, you'll play probably at least two NCAA tournament-level teams. It could wind up being three, seeing how the bracket breaks. We don't know. And then you got to go to Notre Dame before you even get out of November. So accruing these wins and not getting way behind the eight ball, you know, they've got at least one quad one win you got to figure they'll get another one but if you can get your your goal is minimum three against a really hard schedule there getting this one you go against two top five teams and you go one and one and neither of those games are on your home floor you take that every single time no matter what level team you are no shock tom Izzo found a way to do it and i thought the fact that he got two different kinds of plays on opposite baselines to extend this that design which was like Hauser tripped, and I that was obviously an accident, but it, it benefited the design of the play even more so. And then Malik Hall with a just the poise in that moment, ball fake, almost went Neo in the Matrix on Kentucky's defenders, froze him or made him trip over their own ankles. And he's got he's just got an ocean to the basket, flushes it home. Impressive rally by Sparty. They will play Villanova next Friday at the Breslin Center. Yeah, on the Kentucky side of things, I mean, we've said all we can say about Michigan State on this podcast and in the previous one. Um, th- this is not the most talented Michigan State team Tom's ever coached. Tom will tell you that. He said it tonight. Uh, by the way, I went and looked this up. Our top 101 players list, three Kentucky Wildcats in the top 70. Guess how many Michigan State players made the list? Malik Hall made the list, did he not? I don't think so. He was on... <laughs> He was on my list and Hauser was close. I know if Hauser's not on the list, he was close. Maybe it's zero, but Malik Hall was on my list. I mean, I did. I pulled it up, did a search for Michigan and like Hunter Dickinson popped up. Jet Howard popped up. No Michigan State players popped up. You keep going. I'm going to fact check it real quick. Go ahead. And so one of the points I made in the column that is now posted at at CBSSports.com is that, you know, perhaps that's an oversight on our part. But when we published the list... I don't remember anybody complaining about a lack of Michigan State presence. One thing I do remember hearing people complain about is not having Jacob Toppin. In other words, not having four Kentucky players on the list instead of just three. But I don't remember anybody complaining about us not having enough or any Michigan State players. And so what that suggests is that there is a a significant talent discrepancy between these two basketball teams and yet um one of them looks like it's got some stuff figured out already and the other one looks like it's got a lot of stuff to to figure out and i guess that's where i'd bottom line it with kentucky 
you know, one of the things Tom Izzo said after the game is, hey, Kentucky fans, this team's going to be fine. Don't jump off the boat or something like that. And I agree. They're going to be good. I think they just got to figure out who to play. You know, I, I, we talked to go listen to our summer shoot around Kentucky episode. One of the points I made is that I, I liked Kentucky. Obviously, I had them in preseason top five. I, I still have them projected it to win the SEC. But one of the issues I had with the roster construction is that I didn't know if their best lineup would would double as the five best players or most talented players on the court. I thought they were going to have to play less talented players to get their best roster uh, combination, lineup combination rather, on the court. And you know we're still just three games into this, but I think that's still probably true. Like Severe Wheeler is excellent at a lot of things, and he really showed a burst to get to the rim over and over again tonight. Um, but he's a non-shooting point guard. I mean, he's not going to bury you from from the three-point line. He's a non-shooter. He did make two threes against Michigan State, but he's a non-shooter. If um, it, it, what is the term that coaches use all the time? Um, you know, you're you're either a Ray or a Rondo. Is that have you heard that one before? You're either a Ray uh, Allen no. or a Rondo. Yeah, just, just let him go. He's rolling. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll call you. I, you know, I they're like he's a Ray. Him. It's something like that. It might be he's a Steph at this point if you want to update it. But at one point, I remember a coach saying he's a Ray. He's a Rondo. He's a Ray. I was in like a shoot around with the team. They Rondo were like, is a drastic. That just seems like overly. <laughs> I feel like there should be one in the middle. Like there should be a third, a, a solid third option. That's all. But I get the point. No, they're like going through a scouting report. They're like, okay, 24 is a Rondo. Now, 31's a Ray. 41's a Ray. 7's a Rondo. That's the way they refer to these players. And it's like a non-shooter and a shooter. Well, Severe Wheeler, for these purposes, would be a Rondo. So you've got a non-shooter at the 1. Sheepway is what he is. And I really think the, the best way to maximize those two guys' strengths is to have multiple shooters on the court with them as often as possible. Casey Wallace, I don't think is you wouldn't. He's great at a lot of things, taking the ball from other people apparently, but you wouldn't call him a great shooter or an in a, a, a proven shooter. But you want him on the court. That's why I played forty four minutes in this one. So if we've already agreed, you're going to have Xavier Wheeler, Casey Wallace, and Oscar Shibway on the court. I'd kind of like those other two spots to be filled with with shooters. Yeah. And I wonder if you get to a point where you don't have CJ Frederick and and Reeves on the 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 court together an awful lot. You, you know, you can mix that up and 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 you know have Jacob Toppin in there with them at some point. But I, I'm just a big believer in if you got a non-shooting point guard and a big that needs space to dominate around the rim, you, you want to put shooters on the court. And and the shooters on this roster are C.J. Frederick and, and Antonio Reeves. Another player we had on our top, we did not have Michigan State player. I know I did have Toppin. I had Malik Hall and Hauser. No joke, because I, I remember seeing the final draft. Hauser, I think, was the first or second player off the list. Uh, so he just missed it there. A player we had at 69, nice, Kyle Filipowski. Well, he might look and prove to be 20, 30, 40 spots too low. Duke loses to Kansas late. We're going to get to that. Paris, you go ahead and set it up. I'm not going to steal your thunder here. <laughs> it's, it's, we'll listen, get to it's game late, two. It's late. 
<laughs> I saw you try it, and then I saw you like hit I a little speed bump it, there. But you can take it. I mean, I still got to write a column. My son technically is already seven. I got a birthday thing in the morning, so let's just let's keep rolling. Game two of the Champions Classic was uh, was very close to the final minutes as well. Number six, Kansas 69. Number seven, Duke 64. We'll get into that next. But first, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. A reminder, if you want, you can now email the show, shouts to cbs at gmail.com, shouts to cbs at gmail.com. We are loving the responses we've gotten, the emails, the correspondence, the questions. Continue sending them. You can send in a video if you'd like, 10 to 15 second video, ask a question, name, city, town, get out. We'll try and drop those in going forward on the show, on the YouTube channel. Continue to send us stuff. We love hearing from you. And thank you, as always, for subscribing. Kansas 69, Duke 64. That was the final score in the nightcap of the Champions Classic in Indianapolis. You're, I'm still sick. Yeah, you're going to run out a column about it whenever we yeah. finish this. So let's start with you. What did you make of, uh, of KU's nice come-from-behind victory over the Blue Devils? Yeah. I mean, uh, Kansas won because they had Dick. It's basically it. Wow. Brady Dick. Seven points in a minute to flip. The, they plucked the win right out of Duke's hands, man. And Grady Dick was the reason why. Good defense there. I mean, all around, defensively, Kansas inspiring. Um, Jalen Wilson, let me bring this up here. Let me bring up. Not a, If you have the uh, stat broadcast, throw it on the screen, too, if you have it. Because um, I got it here on my computer. Yeah, how about this? So Jalen Wilson goes for 25. I believe that is more than he's ever had in his college career. Dewan Harris, one of the few true pass first point guards at the power conference level gets 10 dimes, a personal best there. Grady Dick again, comes on strong in the second half, really not even the second half the final, like you're going to make it, <laughs> you're going to make it over there. Comes no, no, on, you just keep, you just keep I know, having I know, fun. I'm with not doing it intentionally. I know. I listen, we're going to talk about Dick all season long and we're just going to say these things and it's just going to be what happens here. Okay. Just going to be what happens. You can see the stats on the screen there. Grady Dick in the final couple of minutes. Yeah, goes off big, seven points, basically flips, the, basically flips the, come on, dude, he flips the game. I'm not trying to do it like that. Flips the game. Uh, Jeremy Roach did have, you know, he answered with a three there uh, down the stretch, but it was the oop from Harris to Grady Dick, and then another, you know, Grady Dick basket there. <laughs> big, time, big time stuff from Grady Dick. I want to know where Bill Self was watching this game. That's my question. Was he uh, is he allowed in the building? Was he in the building? If he wasn't, was he in his hotel room? Was he I don't think bar? I don't think he can even travel. He did travel. He did travel. He did travel. 
according to a report from uh, from one Jeffrey Goodman, he did travel with the team. Okay, so he okay. did travel with the team. I don't know if he can travel with the team or if he. Tra- I don't have any of those details, but I am just genuinely curious. Like uh, he probably he probably streamed it on his phone at that steak and shake on the corner there. That's entirely possible. Entirely possible there. Um, it did seem like Duke was gonna was gonna win this game. You know, you got some really you got quality play out of Roach. Man, Filipowski, I undervalued him coming into the season, certainly based off. How about this? This was on the broadcast. This is mind-blowing. Dude, Filipowski is the first Duke freshman ever to start his career with three double-doubles. Like, Bagley didn't do it. Zion didn't do it. RJ Barrett didn't do it. Christian Leitner didn't do it. Shane Battier didn't do it. Nobody's ever done it. Filipowski is the first one. Three games to start a career, three double doubles who's going to be the best duke freshman that's kind of the question here something it's derek whitehead who hasn't even played a game yet i thought it would be lively maybe it still will be philip powski has the best stats so far tyrese proctor clearly destined to be a first round pick and we'll save this discussion for later in the season or maybe once we see duke at pk85 like roach is the starting point guard but man proctor is quite clearly a very dynamic and creative playmaker and I would expect Shire and his staff to really take advantage of that. They even did a little, uh, you know, earlier in this game, but they can run some offense through both of those players. And this was more it, like Duke didn't give it away, in my opinion. This was just like something awoke within Kansas. And I said this on the CBS Sports HQ hit before we did the podcast. To me, if you're a KU fan, yes, you're ranked preseason top 10. You brought back a couple of pieces after winning a national championship. But, like, you don't have self on the sideline in this game. And you straight up took this. Like, you got indications here. All right. McCuller wasn't even, you know, a top two player for us tonight. We got career performances out of Harris. Jalen Wilson is showing he can be that guy, right? And he might not need to be that guy every night. Grady Dick can be that guy. And there's enough there where you're like, you know what? You know, you're not going to run the table or anything like that. You're going to take your L's. But, like, we should probably be okay. Um given the way they were able to turn turn off Duke's water largely going a 15-5 run to close it uh big time big time stuff there i was i was more impressed with Kansas down the stretch than really like disappointed in duke also the only other thing i got for you on this game gp let's see what we got three yeah the, the teams went a combined 6 of 40 6 of 40 from three point range so it was a clank fest for the majority of the game and then roach and dick traded triples near the end there but uh a big win for KU. Where do you have them in your rankings again? Where are they now? Um, I haven't decided that yet. Okay. I mean, obviously, in, in the top 10. Um, uh, and I, I mean, they were in the top 10 before this game was even played. Are you not going to have an undefeated KU team ahead of a one-loss Michigan State team? No. Okay. I mean, the one loss is a one-point loss to the team I have number one. Right. I'm just, I don't I'm even just... consider it a loss. I mean, it's obvious. No, 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 no. no, 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 no you know no, what no. I mean? It I mean, obvious, obviously it's a loss, but it, it's not something that makes me change my opinion of you. I, I, right. I like my, the way I go about evaluating teams and, and by extension ranking them is um, if you, know, if, if you lose to a higher ranked team in a competitive game on a neutral court or on the road, I don't penalize you for that. That's what you're supposed to do. Like Michigan State is supposed to lose a neutral court game to Gonzaga, according to my rankings and according to even my updated rankings tomorrow morning. So honestly, if I wanted to, based on the way I do this, I could take Michigan State all the way up to number two. I won't because um, 
you know, North Carolina, although North Carolina has been a little like not overwhelming. We'll get to that. We got to get to quick ACC stuff before we get out of here. Yeah, but but like I could I could take Michigan State up all the way up to number two Wednesday morning and totally defend it. I won't, but I will have Michigan State at four and I will have Michigan State ahead of Kansas. Um, The only like thing I'm trying to figure out now is like, do I take Kansas all the way up to say five or six? Or do I keep them in the seven or eight range? And I think I'm leaning toward reward the team that just got a big win. And if Arkansas and Baylor fans want to be upset about getting jumped by Kansas, well, then, hey, schedule somebody notable in the opening, you know, 10 days of the season. And then maybe you'll have the same type of signature win and get treated um, accordingly. Okay, fair enough. Any other take? I gave you pretty much I uh, I emptied the emptied my. uh my takes here before well, I, I think on, on one hand, like this, and this isn't un, a unique opinion. Uh, many people had it on Twitter as that game was, was unwinding un, down. Um, there's something to be said for having a national championship veteran point guard. You know, Dwan Harris is not the star of last season's Kentucky, uh, Kansas team. He's not the star of, of this season's Kansas team, but you know, he, he had uh, uh, 10 assists in only one turn in 35 minutes. And he really created opportunities uh, down the stretch and controlled that game down the stretch in a way that allowed Kansas to, to erase a Duke uh, lead and then, and then pull away and, and, and win that game where uh, a Filipowski three at the buzzer, make it miss. It doesn't matter. The, the game is over. So I thought that was really nice. Kansas obviously lost a lot from last season, but they've got their starting point guard back. They got another starter back in Jalen Wilson, who, at least in this one, now he took a lot of shots, 26 shots. But like, you know, he did go out and get 25, 11, and five. Like that's a that's a that's a that's stuff in the 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 box score, so to speak. So you you've got the one, you've got the four. Grady Dick looks like he looks terrific. Like he's ready to like he does not look like a freshman at all. And then, you know, McCullough, like, you know, he gave him 12 on 50% shooting. So like four of those starters are like high level guys already. And it's why Kansas has got a chance to win another Big 12 title, to go to another Final Four, and maybe just maybe, I'm not ruling anything out, you know, win back to back national championships. The other side is interesting because I know it's just Derek Lively's second game, but the number one player in America, or at least in the class of 2022, you know, getting four points and five rebounds in his first big test, mm-hmm. like that's not that's not good. I mean, we've seen other heralded Duke bigs on that stage before. You know, Jalo Okafor, Marvin Bagley, Zion Williamson. And they put up big numbers in these types of moments. And Lively just, you know, if I, how about this? If you didn't know nothing about nothing and you just turned on that game tonight and I said, tell me who was ranked number one in the class of 2022, you would not have picked that guy. Let's go do it. Come on. He needed that. That's what he needed. He needed some of that in his life because that's right. Filipowski looks like the much better player at this stage. Now, well, he, again, we're not going to overreact, but you know, he was he was he was not what Duke needed him to be. And if he was going to play on Filipowski's level, then Duke, frankly, uh, would have won overall. So, you know, Duke's got plenty more opportunities, high profile opportunities coming. Another team like heading to to uh, to PK eighty five. They've got they've got Delaware on Friday, and then they whoo they got Bellerman. They got Bellerman on Monday. Bellerman on Monday before they go to Portland next week. Duke was an ACC team that took a loss. Can I pivot? You got any more thoughts or can I pivot into the ACC situation? 
brother. It's 108 on the East Coast. I'm, go. I, I've been sober all night. It's time to pivot. We're pivoting. Well, first of all, I hate to break this to you, but I got this on a stream here too. Uh, I think you're going to be ranking Illinois tomorrow. I've already got Illinois in. Okay. Well, Dayton, Dayton looks like it's about to lose at UNLV. Well, then that means UConn's up next. Bada bing. UConn, shouts to Tristan Newton. Triple-double against Buffalo. Like the fourth triple-double at UConn in the past like dozen years. Tristan Newton, ECU transfer. That's a big-time uh, plot to development, I guess. Okay, so here we go. ACC. There's two leagues that have been troublesome. The Pac-12, I'll get to you in a second. But man, oh man, the ACC. I almost lost my other computer off the side of the desk here. Ooh, it's late. All right. Louisville. Damn, dude. Come on, man. Come on, man. Louisville is 0-3 with one-point losses to <laughs> Bellarmine, Wright State, and App State all at home. I posed this on Twitter, and I don't know if this is a retrievable stat. I did see our buddy Jeff Borzello tweeted research reference from ESPN Stats and Info. We know at the very least, in the past 41 years, there has not been a team to start a season 0-3 with three home losses all by one point. And additionally, Louisville hasn't started a season losing three home games in a row since 1940-41. The last time Louisville started 0-3 was 86 when Kenny Payne played for Louisville. They were in the Great Alaska Shootout coming off winning the national championship and started 0-3. Not good. Not good whatsoever there. So Louisville, FSU. Both 0-3 teams in the ACC right now. Boston College took a loss Monday night at home against Maine. Pitts 1-1 took an understandable loss against West Virginia, whatever. Clemson lost at South Carolina, a team that's not supposed to be as good as it. And then Syracuse took a loss on Wednesday night against Colgate. Colgate, like the Syracuse-Colgate game, for 54 times years in a row, Colgate lost. A year ago, it went from 1963 to 2021. Syracuse was winning that thing. Colgate and Matt Langle went it by double digits a year ago and then got it again on Tuesday night. Now, Colgate's the best team in the Patriot League. Matt Langle is destined for a bigger job. I thought he'd get one this past offseason. He's almost certainly going to get one when we look up in March or April of 23 there. But damn, I actually tweeted that very thing that Langle should get another job. And then someone was like, shouldn't Syracuse just hire him? <laughs> like it's 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 not a it's not a it's not a terrible point. Other thing in the ACC, Wake needed a three-pointer just before the buzzer in overtime to get past Utah Valley. I only bring this up because one, it's notable you've got a lot of near losses or bad losses, and there's still plenty of time. But this is exactly how you get your conference into a position where we look up on February 26th. And you're like, damn, Jerry Palm's got four ACC teams in the bracket. It's because you don't get your business taken care of in November and in December. There's still plenty of time. And Louisville, no, not projected to make the NCAA tournament. FSU was now. I mean, the the, the slope is just so steep there. Wake and not, not exactly. Syracuse may be a bubble team, but like losing these games is not going to help the fact. And as somehow, some ways down the road, it can actually be the difference between being a quad one or quad two result there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. I wanted to at least mention the ACC and the Pac-12 there. Do you have thoughts on the ACC, my man? Well, the Louisville thing is just a disaster. 
I mean, it I'm is. not it I'm is. not ruling out that Kenny Payne can't do a good job in time, but I mean, if you were trying to, uh, you know, script the worst possible start to a head coaching career, it would include an zero and three start with three home losses to mid majors, while DJ Wagner commits to Kentucky. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, that happened since we last podcasted. Yes. Yeah. So it's like an absolute disaster. And I saw this um, from statsperform.com. Do you realize Louisville's last game last season was against Virginia? And it was a one-point loss. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So Louisville is, according to statsperform.com, wow. the first Division One team to lose four straight games by one point since Stetson did it in a four-game stretch in December 1982 and January 1983. Wow. I mean, it's just an an absolute disaster. So that's that. Uh, The Syracuse thing is just, you know. I mean, it's just in your own building, man. Like, and listen, Colgate's a good team. Colgate should make the tournament out of that league. We don't know if Syracuse will, but, like, it's double digits. Like, they were housed. You know, like, Louisville, same thing with Louisville. Like, App State never trailed on Tuesday night. Got up by as many as 16. It's not just that you're losing. It's the way that you're losing there. And for Syracuse fans, take it away, GP. But, yeah, like, this is why they're just they're, – they're reaching their wits end at the, the stage the program is at. That's all. I, I think folks have gotten to the point with Jim Beheim, and I don't want to speak for Syracuse fans, but I feel like they've gotten to the point with Jim Beheim that Florida State fans eventually got to with Bobby Bowden that – you know, schools often get to when, and it happens more in football than basketball, because in basketball, we've actually had this place where guys get old and they're still great. Mike Krzyzewski is still great. Um, Roy Williams was still great. And yet in football, they they seem to sort of taper off for whatever reason. I, I think maybe because there's more uh, drastic changes to, you know, offenses and defenses in football, and it can maybe – I'm just speculating here, but maybe it'd be difficult for guys to to keep up and and um, you know change with the times. Nick Saban, I think, being an obvious exception uh, to that. But I, I would assume Syracuse fans are have either reached the point or are on the verge of reaching the point uh, of of thinking. I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to what we were, but I don't have confidence anymore that we're going to get back to where we were with Jim Beheim as our coach, Uh, you know, this has sort of been disguised a little bit because of some timely surprising runs in the NCAA tournament, but that Syracuse basketball program has not been operating at the level at which I watched it operate through much of my childhood and, and early adult life for a while. And the early signs this season are, are not good. And, I don't know what you could actually point to 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 give you confidence that it's going to be better until you know Jim gracefully retires and and somebody else takes over that program and 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 remakes it in 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 his in you know it, it remakes it in a way that um you know can 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 capitalize off of the great stuff that Jim built and then you know bring some new energy and just knew everything to the campus. 
All right, let's sit on the Pac-12 here. Um, red flags are flying up everywhere. Uh, you had Stanford, which got run in its home gym. It was expected to lose, but San Diego State was not competitive. Stanford also didn't beat Wisconsin uh, late last week. You had Oregon lose at home to UC Irvine on, on Friday night. Took a bad loss there. On Tuesday night, Cal is 0-3. Another 0-3 power conference team has home losses to UC Davis, Kansas State, and then I don't understand. This might be just like a University of California State. You know, I don't. They played at UC San Diego, which has been D one for you know a minute and a half here, and that was a road game. They lost by two on Tuesday night. So Cal is zero and three, um, not good, obviously. And then you've got the 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 SWAC teams. In addition, USC barely edged Vermont on Tuesday. They got the win, but they also have the home loss against Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, as we mentioned on the previous two podcasts, Pac twelve SWAC. The legacy series, it's an awesome thing. It is bigger than basketball. I'm loving that the Pac-12 decided to do it. It's important, and it's a multi-year thing, and there are more teams scheduled to go play on the road at SWAC schools next year. Colorado lost at Grambling State on Friday. Bounced back, got the win against Tennessee. Washington State on Tuesday night lost 70-59 to against Prairie View A&M. That's in Prairie View A&M's gym. And then Arizona State on Sunday got dropped on the road at Texas Southern. That's 0-3 for Pac-12 teams on the road. Conversely, Pac-12 teams got three home games they won. So actually, the Pac-12 and the SWAC split the series there. It's wonderful to see uh, a power conference like the Pac-12 setting this kind of example. I I am way too cynical to believe that it will ever be duplicated, though I'd love to see it at an HBCU level with the MEAC or even other smaller conferences there. But the exact results we have here are why it's we're probably not going to see it again because look what's happening, man. Well, I'm not saying this would always be the case. These are not the teams that lost Arizona State, Washington State, Colorado took the three road losses. None of those teams were projected to make the NCAA tournament at the start of the season. So it's not like they were these monumental upsets, but they were very much expected to win, predicted to win, betting lines, predictive measures, the whole thing. But look at what happens when power conference teams are literally forced to go play in small school environments, these HBCU tiny gyms where this is now their Super Bowl. Look what happened. It shouldn't be a shock that these teams are winning. I'm I'm thrilled for the SWAC to have this moment on the basketball court, right? It's just, it's so refreshing, I guess. Yes, this is also going to, in some ways, torpedo the Pac-12's chances overall at having resumes, teams competitive in that quad two, quad three standing, quad one differentiating, right, GP? But... I just I couldn't help but point out, yes, the Pac-12 have a major struggles, but let's also, uh, you know, let's raise up the swack here. Those those schools didn't take those games lightly. They won them. Uh, they won them in some cases definitively. And just a, an interesting plot twist for the first week of college basketballs this season to see this coming. And it's why we've talked about this many times before in the podcast. Yeah, to a certain extent, the system is rigged against mid-majors and low-majors because schools will not do this. Power conference schools will not put themselves in position to go play smaller schools on the road for fear of losing these kinds of games. These will be bad losses. These could all wind up as quad four defeats depending on how these SWAC teams perform for the rest of the season. Why would you ever want to put your program in that kind of position? I get that, but to me, another takeaway from this is this when we talk about the teams that just narrowly missed the tournament from mid-major conferences and they wind up being a one, two, three, or four seed in the NIT, well, they would have been in the damn NCAA tournament to begin with if they'd been given more opportunities to schedule these kind of games. They don't get that. They wind up losing out. More opportunities like this, you'd see more upsets of this variety.
Yeah, I can't imagine what Bobby Hurley thinks of Larry Scott about right now. <laughs> he's, he's Bobby. I, mean, I, prom- I promise you, these these coaches are like, why, why, why do you put us in this situation? Like, 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 I'm with you. That the you know, heart's in the right place. Well, and this is also literally out of 2020, George Floyd. Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah, I know you know that. But just as a reminder to listeners, that's why they're doing this. The Pac-12 wanted to be a leader in this space and say, no, we want to incorporate competition, communication, camaraderie with HBCUs. And it's led to this moment. And I promise you there's some Pac-12 coaches like, yo, could we not have just put on a Black Lives Matter T-shirt and got them to come play with us at home? Like, why why are we going on the road and playing these games? Because – these are going to go down. Like I, I want to give Grandma State, Texas Southern, Prairie View AM, congratulations. Happy for you. These are going to be horrific losses for these Pac-12 schools. I know you know this, but like the SWAC rates in the computers, literally the worst league in the country. So now your league has three losses to teams from the worst league in the country. Those ain't going to get better with time. They're just going to be bad forever. And you know, uh, the other side of this is, hey, like you're you're supposed to win these games, so just go win the games and shut up. Yeah, for sure, GP. Right. For sure, go win the damn games. Yeah, yes. but but like, well, I promise you, I don't want to speak for any coach specifically, uh, because you know maybe they see the big picture and appreciate the big picture. But I promise you, there is a Pac-12 coach, if not many Pac-12 coaches, who are saying, "Why are you forcing us into these situations?" where literally nothing good can happen, but something really bad can. Yeah. Hey, listen, them's the breaks. Go win the games. Pac-12 is even is in an even worse spot right now than the ACC overall. One more result. And, well, it's official. UNLV is knocked out Dayton, so you're going to swap in UConn and your rankings there. St. Louis did hold serve at home 90-84 against Memphis. It was actually a pretty entertaining game, obviously overshadowed by the Champions Classic, but I had a second screen on that. And St. Louis was able to get the job done. That's important for the A-10 and that St. Louis program, which was actually ranked ranked below Memphis in Ken Palm, but was favored to win the game. Marquette also made it competitive, but lost on the road against Purdue uh, 75-70 outcome. One more thing uh, that I do want to mention before we get out of here, and it is late. And thanks to everyone. If We actually had pretty good viewership numbers here late into the evening on the East Coast. Uh, so we appreciate you staying up and listening to us. Um, I do know... Uh, that we do have plenty of people that listen to the podcast that are from the Charlottesville area, Virginia fans. And there was a tragedy, obviously, this week. Uh, just horrific, harrowing news with the murder of three Virginia football players. Uh, no, it's not college basketball, but this is a college sports podcast. And no doubt about it, plenty of our listeners, many of them have probably been following the story. We're affected by the story. We probably have listeners that, you know, on a, on a community level there, we're, we're seriously impacted. And our, our thoughts completely go out to that community. Uh, I did reach out and make just quick brief contact with with Tony Bennett. Um, the Virginia men's basketball game against Northern Iowa that was scheduled for Monday night did wind up getting canceled, not postponed, but canceled. Virginia will play again on Friday. We will preview that game on the Friday uh, a.m. episode there. But, um, you know, I, I don't have anything profound to add here, GP, but I, I wouldn't have felt right not at least mentioning it before we get out of here because this is something that has impacted college sports overall, no doubt about it. And this is the kind of thing that is just beyond depressing. It's scary as hell. It's harrowing. It's confusing. It's hard to make any kind of sense of it, uh, period. And three, you know, tremendously bright, 
uplifting souls and spirits were just were, were taken from the world for no damn good reason whatsoever. And you know, my thoughts are specifically with the families of those players. Uh, you know, Devin Chandler, um, Deshaun Perry, uh, Lavelle Davis Jr. All three of them. Um, you know, their their faces and the, their, their their team shots. You know that they take uh, take in the preseason. You know that those uh, those smiling faces have been across you know news broadcasts and on social media, and it's been hard to kind of get the incident uh, out of my head for the past 24 hours because it's it's harrowing, it's terrifying, and it's so so sad. So sincerely, um, thoughts go out to their families, everyone who knew them, and uh, and the Virginia community. It, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Like the young man Devin Chandler. Um, you know, he went to high school here in, in the Memphis area. I didn't know him, but, you know, I know people who did, who covered him in high school and wrote about him and talked about him and put him on camera. And I mean, it just seemed like, wow. Like you, you hope you're, if you have a son, he grows up to be like this guy, just sharp and focused and, um, everybody's friend. And, I guess this is life, you know, this is the randomness of, of life. Um, you know, sometimes you get into these deep conversations with people and, you know, folks ask, um, you know, so what, what do you, what do you believe in? You know, that uh, you get into these conversations and, you know, I, I, I always, you know, say, I believe in randomness. Um, I, you know, sometimes good things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to bad people. And sometimes good things happen to bad people. You know, it's just, you can't really make sense of the world. You know, I don't subscribe to everything happens for a reason. Like, I know it's a nice thing to say, um, you know, when, when, for some people, when you need comfort, but I don't believe in that. I don't think everything happens for a reason. I don't think there's any good reason for uh, an 11 month old baby to get cancer. Uh, I don't think there's a reason for, you know, uh, a, a woman to just be walking in a grocery store and get shot in a rampage. And I don't think there's a reason for a young man to, to, to be, do so well um, throughout middle school and high school that he is offered the opportunity to go to school at a place like Virginia, one of the great institutions we have in this country and play football and by all accounts be a productive and awesome member of society and get shot on a bus coming back from a field trip to a play in Washington, DC. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's infuriating because it speaks to one of the big issues we have in this country with guns and guns violence. It, it's infuriating because as a country, we continue to sort of just live with this rather than try to do something about it. And I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I, I, I know exactly how to reduce this problem or um, alleviate this problem, but you know, I, I would love it if somebody would take a shot at it. Um, if somebody would try, if we would, you know, at, at least attempt to try to, to get this, this thing under control in our country in the, you know, in the meantime, um, you just have to sit back and hope that it doesn't happen to you or somebody you love. And it, it unfortunately happened to, to three young men and there are other victims who are injured, but three young men who all seem to be awesome, um, lost their lives since, you know, in a, in a nonsensical way. 
and um yeah it just it it breaks my heart but it also infuri- infuriates me and right now we don't really have many answers for for mm-hmm. why this happened um what led to it i imagine we'll get some sort of i hope um we'll get some sort of explanation at some point but but for now it's just um yeah it's tough um you know it reminds you on some level of of the situation at Baylor so many years ago where a basketball player shot another bas murdered another basketball player. And I thought it was um, nice to see people from the Baylor community, you know, publicly, you know, reach out to Virginia to say, we're thinking of you. Cause if anybody knows what this is like, it's people who live through that. The whole thing's just sad. And, and like you, I reached out to people I know in Virginia just to, to let them know I'm, I'm thinking of them. Nothing, that, that won't help anything or, or, or bring anybody back. But um, yeah, it's been on my mind too. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the most poignant but worst commentary you can say about this is the fact that also Virginia tech, the site of one of the worst shootings right. in the history of this country. Like we are, we have reached a point here where places and communities that have experienced this kind of horrific violence um, are reaching out to others in the proximity alone, right? Two rivals. Um, and that's been another uh, part of this whole thing. But uh, as we record this podcast, it's not known uh, when Virginia will play football again. By the time you listen to this, that decision might have well come down. I would think it's going to come down on Thursday and we're, uh, or Wednesday. And we're recording this early on Wednesday morning. But again, um, we just, you know, I had to, I had to bring that up. I know it's, uh, uh, it's certainly, you know, depressing and a downer, but it doesn't matter. It deserves mention and, uh, did want to send our best as we get out of here. I will note that we will podcast again Friday morning. We did switch it up on you. Uh, the plan was initially to get this going Wednesday morning, but champions classic, this was one of the best champions classics of the past six or seven years when you consider both games and how close they were. And we wanted to get this to you as soon as possible. And for anyone that woke up Wednesday morning and was surprised to see this waiting for you on YouTube or in your podcast feed, well, we're happy to do that. We're not going to make a crazy habit out of it before we get to uh, March and postseason play. But when results warrant, if there's big enough stuff, then we'll we'll try and see if we can turn it. GP's not in the TV studio, and I'm here tonight. Uh, Gonzaga will go at Texas on Wednesday night. That is the biggest game on the schedule before we will podcast again. Of course, we will touch on that on the next episode. And if you're wondering what else is kind of big out there, on Wednesday, it's really Gonzaga, Texas, and then there's a pretty big, sizable drop-off after that. Probably I Iowa playing at Seton Hall. Those are, of course, a continuation of the Gabbitt games. That's one to keep an eye on overall. There's some other stuff there, but it would really only result in a mention if they're on to being an upset. And then Thursday is pretty quiet overall in terms of big-time appeal. Friday, big-time slate, a lot to get to. We'll touch on that on Friday's episode with our weekend picks and uh, and lay it all out for you. But uh, that's all I got, GP. I got to go uh, I gotta go right about Duke and Kansas and file that. And then... Uh, Got my little buddy's birthday here in the morning. Wait, he's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna be up and ready and rolling to go. I know, literally, you just had yours today. So one of your sons just had his birthday. My son now gets it uh, here technically as we speak here on on November sixteenth. So um, that's part of the dad life. I'm all too happy. But yes, this is I'm going to be operating on March level kind of sleep right now out of nowhere in the middle of November. And uh, hey, it ain't all that bad. Yeah, I've already got a Wednesday afternoon nap planned. I know exactly when I'm going to try to take it. We'll see how it goes. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please, five stars at Apple. Uh, Leave a nice review. Type some words. 
there's more of us than than there are of them. You know that already. We'll talk to you again on Friday morning. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.